All right. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. It's good to be with you here today. Uh, for those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor of Alliance Christian Fellowship. ACF is our campus ministry of the State College Alliance Church. And um, uh, Pastor Aaron is not sick or he's not out of town. Every once in a while, Pastor Aaron and I like to do a little bit of a pulpit swap uh, where he goes over to campus, I come over back to the mothership. And, uh, and, and we do this for, um, you know, primarily because sometimes it can feel like, you know, the State College Alliance Church is kind of doing your own thing here and ACF is doing our own thing on campus and we got our uh, uh, college church on campus and all these things that we got going on. And sometimes it can feel like two separate families and... Uh, and we don't love that because we are actually part of the same tribe. We're part of the same family. Like I said, ACF is uh, sort of the campus extension of this church body and this church family here. And so one of the ways that we like to remind ourselves of that is we just swap pulpits. And, uh, and, so, and, and if this is a total bust, Pastor Aaron will be back next week, okay? So <laughs> fear not. Uh, this is not a permanent change. It's just for this week. And so uh, glad to be here with you. Uh, I get to join the privilege of carrying this series that, uh, that you all have been in uh, called Ancient History. And so if you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to open up to the book of Exodus. We're carrying through in the, in the book of Exodus in our study of Exodus. And today we're going to be in chapter 7. And... Uh, this morning, we're going to cover a significant portion of the book of Exodus, not just by quantity, um, but also in the, in the moment of God's story and what he's writing here. This is a significant piece of the story. In fact, this is the part in the story that we get the name of the book from. Uh, this is the part in the story where we see the, see the departure of the people of God from the land of Egypt. There's this mass exodus that happens with the nation of Israel where God leads them out of slavery and into freedom. And next week, Pastor Aaron will be talking about that, the implications of moving from slavery into freedom. And so uh, be here for that, and uh, that'll be great. But for this morning, we're gonna look at, uh, we're gonna start off by looking at a small portion of the text uh, in chapter seven. Uh, we're gonna look at about seven verses or so. But I'm actually gonna attempt to cover nine whole chapters uh, and cram it all in into the next few moments that we have together. By the way, listen, as, as much as I love these pulpit swaps, I usually tell Aaron, hey, when you go on campus, just preach on whatever you want, bro. Like, it's just whatever God lays on your heart. I come here, he's like, damn, you got nine chapters in the book of Exodus, the most iconic moments of the book of Exodus, and you got 30 minutes to do so. So, awesome, thanks, boss, appreciate it. All right, so, uh, by God's grace, we're gonna glean some wisdom and insight from God's holy word, and hopefully, hopefully we'll walk away together with a word from the Lord. Hopefully you're here for that, Amen. All right, so let's dive in. This passage we're gonna look at is Exodus chapter seven. Pick me up at verse one. This is sort of uh, a synopsis, if you will, uh, an overview of actually the next nine chapters, chapters seven through 15. I'm gonna be, I'm, I'll be reading out of the, the English Standard Version, but uh, go ahead and follow along with whatever version of the Bible you have in front of you. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. 
Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, friends, before we dig into the, to, to the meat of the message, I just have a, a, an initial question right out of the gate. Um, do we have, just out of curiosity, do you have any 80-year-olds in the room, 80-plus-year-olds? Yeah, a few? Okay, awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, that's awesome. Life well lived. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, look, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is the case for the 80-year-olds in the room. Maybe uh, I, I want you to think on some other folks, maybe within your family circles, people that you know uh, who are maybe in their 80s or above. But I got to tell you, most 80-year-olds I know are usually enjoying their retirement years. Right? I mean, they're, they're usually picking up some extra rounds of golf. You know, maybe they're getting ready to enjoy some warmer weather. Maybe, you know, thinking about heading down south or to, the, to Florida, to the Carolinas. Spending time with their great-grandkids, maybe grandkids, whatever. Picking up a new hobby. I don't know. I'm not 80. So I'm not there yet. But I, I, the 80-year-olds that I know are, are usually living in that sort of world. Moses and Aaron, in their 80s, are just getting their ministry career started. They're just getting launched. And little do they know, the road ahead of them would be marked by major challenges. What would seem like insurmountable hurdles, unimaginable difficulties. You've got to understand, Moses and Aaron are not getting ready to withdraw from their 401ks or their Roth IRAs. They're not getting ready to, you know, prop up on a beach somewhere to enjoy a sunset. They're, they're about to embark on an incredibly difficult, tumultuous, heart-aching journey that lies ahead of them. In fact, today, I want to talk to you briefly about impossible situations. Impossible situations, but not just in a general sense. Impossible situations that God leads us into. How many of you know God loves to lead us into impossible situations? Did you know that? He loves to lead us into impossible situations. You know, for those of us who grew up in the church, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, you're familiar with the psalm, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And, and, and then in the next verse, he says, he leads me where? Besides still waters. Oh, we love that leadership, don't we, church? Oh, that kind of leadership. We welcome that leadership. Lord, Lead me beside still waters, restore my soul. And then in the next line, he says, he then leads me into, the, into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm down with that kind of leadership. Bless you. But did you know that more often than not, what we find in Scripture over and over and over again is that God actually, he does lead us by still waters but he also loves to lead us into impossible situations. You remember the story of Joseph? God would give Joseph, young Joseph, dreams, prophetic dreams, prophetic visions, all for what? So that his brothers would grow resentful and envious, so much so that they would actually plot to kill and take the life of their own blood brother. Now, listen, I've got two boys, and they fight. They fight. 
But as far as I know, neither one of them have plotted to kill the other. All right, you've got to get to a pretty dark place to want to plot to kill your own brother. I say that's an impossible situation that Joseph found himself in, not to mention the difficulties that would follow that would come afterwards as he lived in Pharaoh's land in his quarters. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, anyone, right? God led these two to spy on the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land of God. And, and when they came back with reports, what was the response that they got? Guys, this is an impossible situation. We can't take the land. And yet, that's exactly where God was leading them. What about Daniel and his buddies? Right, living in a foreign land with the pressures to worship foreign gods with the impending threat on their lives if they didn't comply. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd say a pit of lions and a fiery furnace qualifies as an impossible situation. Wouldn't you agree? And yet that's exactly where God led them. I mean, I, pick your prophet. Pick a card, any card. Pick a prophet, minor, major, it doesn't matter. Think about the job, that the, the task in which they were called upon to call a wayward nation back to God, to call a wayward nation away from their wicked ways and to turn to their God. I don't know of a less appealing job on planet Earth than the job of a prophet. There was a reason why Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, and it wasn't because he was an overly emotional sap. It was because the job was an impossible situation. Uh, do I need to talk about the apostles of the New Testament? Right, as the fame of Jesus rose, so did persecution, so did the threat on their lives, so much so that every single one of the early apostles, minus John, were all martyred. Countless Jesus followers led by Jesus right to their grave. Speaking of the grave, Jesus? You remember, you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's falling before his Abba Father, and what does he say? Father, if it be possible, what does he say? Take this cup from me. Not my will, but your will be done. You know what Jesus was saying in that moment? Abba, this this is an impossible situation. He would then be betrayed, brutally beaten, flogged, crucified on a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb. As the world wept, we would say, that night was an impossible situation. By the way, if you're wondering what I mean by an impossible situation, an impossible situation is any situation that requires divine intervention. Any situation that requires divine intervention. We're, we're, we're talking about any situation that when you look at it, you don't know how you're going to get through it without divine intervention. And friends, how many of you know God often leads us into impossible situations? Yes, he leads us beside still waters, and praise God when he does that. But more often than not, God leads us into impossible situations. You know, sometimes I wonder... If the biggest issue with our Christian faith, with our faith journey, is that we have boiled all together, boiled down our Christian faith to simply what is possible. I don't know about you. I don't know if you do this in your own life, but I do this in my life. If it's impossible, it's off the table. 
I design my life in a way where I can live with possibilities. And sometimes I think we do that with our walks with God and our journeys with Jesus. We're walking with Jesus, and Jesus leads us. He's leading us literally into impossible situations. And we say, no, that's an impossible situation. I live in the world of possibilities. We boil down our Christian faith strictly to what is possible. While we have a God who often leads us into impossible situations. Now, if you look at the story of today, the life of Moses, you begin to realize just how crazy of an ask this was that God was bringing before Moses. And the, today's text tells us in verse 1 the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, real quick. I, I want us to understand what the text is not saying, what this verse is not saying. The text is not saying that Moses was God or he took on God-like attributes. God did not hand over his divinity card to Moses. God is simply using this as a word picture for how Moses and Aaron are to interact with Pharaoh and to engage with Pharaoh. Moses would perform miraculous signs and wonders Empowered by the Spirit of God himself, and Aaron would speak to Pharaoh similarly to that of a prophet. What was a prophet? It was a spokesperson for God. It was a mouthpiece for God. And so God in this moment is laying out the specific roles that Moses and Aaron would play in this epic showdown that's about to go down here in the preceding chapters. But God continues, and he says, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Okay, now this isn't new information to these guys. They've received this instruction before. In fact, at several places in previous chapters, God instructs Moses and Aaron with this very instruction. But look at what verse 3 says. He says, God says to Moses, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Now, two quick things, real quick, right here. What does it mean when God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart? We're not going to spend a ton of time here, but I do want to address this real quick before we move any further. Because you know, this seems like an unusual thing for God to do. It seems unfair. In fact, we see this pop up again in the later chapters when we get into the plagues we see this combination of pharaoh's heart hardening and then god hardening pharaoh's heart pharaoh's, pharaoh hardening his heart and then god hardening pharaoh's heart and we see this play at, at, at work but now in order to understand what's happening here you need to know just how evil pharaoh's heart actually was to begin with you see, sometimes what we find in Scripture is that God will encounter an evil that is so evil, a kind of evil that runs so deep to the core of the individual, to the core of the person, almost in an irreversible kind of fashion, that instead of God fighting it, God will simply hand the evil person over to their own depravity. God will release them into their own evil ways. We see this happen in Romans chapter 1 where we read that God gave them over to their sinful, lustful desires. In Pharaoh's case, his heart was so hardened that no amount of God's activity would have changed his heart. In fact, up until the very end of the Exodus account, you remember, right? Like they're, they're about to cross through the Red Sea and all these things. You see Pharaoh's heart hardening yet again. What? After all of the 10 plagues and all, after encountering miraculous signs and wonders, Pharaoh's heart yet again hardens. And so you need to understand, God wasn't rigging the system. 
He wasn't where God was hardening Pharaoh's heart before he even gave him a chance to repent. When you look at the story, you think about it, Pharaoh had 10 opportunities to turn his heart. Like the, the, extension of the, the extension of grace even came through the plagues. But God knew better than anyone else that Pharaoh's heart would not turn. And in the sovereignty of God, God uses even the most evil of Pharaoh's hardened heart to bring about his plans and his good purpose for his people. But now the second thing I want to say is this. God knew all this, right? He knew the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, and he, 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 God is, God is all-knowing, he's omniscient, he knows all of this. And then not only that, but he shares this with Moses. But not only that, he then still calls Moses to go. Now, friends, I don't know if you've ever asked someone to do something difficult for you, a difficult task, or usually you try to make the ask real easy. Real easy for that person to say yes, right? Like, so, so on campus, you know, every year we've got new leadership teams that we develop and new leaders that we raise up and all these things. And, and every year, you know, like we have these sort of apprehensive young college students that are like, I don't know if I could do that. And so like my wife, Nicole, and I will almost always say, no, 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 it's not that hard. You can do it. Like we try to really undersell it. So like, we're not lying. You know, I'm just, just, just clarify. We're just trying to, we're just trying to make the yes easy. We're just trying to make them, we're just trying to get them to a place where they say, yeah, I think I could do that. I think I could do that, right? That's not the tactic that God uses here with Moses. You got to remember what Moses is being asked to do, right? Like, again, go back to this. God tells Moses, hey, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. You've been hanging out in Midian long enough. I want you to go back to Egypt. And what that would have meant for Moses was, I want you to go back to that place marked with slavery where you and your people were being brutally treated and brutally beaten go i want you to go back to that very place ptsd anyone i mean like that is it like i i'm thinking nah i'm good like midians you know i'm 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 comfortable here not only that moses i want you to go back to the scene of the crime that caused you to flee in the first place now, friends, I, I've never committed a crime before. Um, I mean, I, I've gotten a couple of speeding tickets and things like that. I've broken the law in that way. And um, I don't know, maybe one or two other laws. I, I don't know. But I, I'm just saying, I don't have a criminal record. I didn't commit any major crimes or anything like that. But if I did, you want to know the last place I would go? Back to the scene of the crime. And God says, I want you to go back there. Go back to the place, the very place where you're running from. Now, there's a whole sermon in and of itself in that. We won't even touch that. But it gets even worse because then God says, no, 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 I don't want you to just go back and stay in hiding. In fact, I want you to go to the most public figure in the land. I want you to go to the king of the nation, the ruler of the land, Pharaoh himself, and then I want you to tell him, to release the very people whom he is building his entire empire upon. The very slave labor that Pharaoh is using to build his kingdom, go to that Pharaoh and tell him to let those people go. Oh, and by the way, he won't listen to a word you say. 
when do I start, God? <laughs> it's like, this sounds amazing. The opportunity of a lifetime. Moses is like, I mean, would you, would you say, just friends, level with me. Would you say that this would qualify as an impossible situation? Amen, anyone? Right, like this is an impossible situation. But now the question is brought before us. The question of why. Why would God lead us into impossible situations? Why does God lead, us, lead Moses into this clearly impossible situation where the odds are clearly stacked up against him? Why would God ask him to wade into this impossible situation? Well, we see the answer embedded right here in today's verse in verse 4. After telling Moses that Pharaoh will not listen, he goes on and he says, Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Why does God lead us into impossible situations? It's right here. So that his power might be put on display so that his power might be put on display. Did you notice the subtle yet sudden shift in, in, in how God talks to Moses here? Because you see, at first glance, you know, when you look at the instruction that God has for Moses, I don't know about you, but it's real easy for me to place the responsibility to do the impossible thing on who? On Moses, right? Like, God is asking Moses to do this thing. Like, like Moses and Aaron, you go to Pharaoh, okay? You go back to Egypt, you go to Pharaoh, and you tell him to let my people go, and if he doesn't listen, when he doesn't listen, it's on you to convince him. That's how I tend to read this passage. At first glance, it seems like God is looking to Moses to do the impossible thing, but that's not what God says. God says then, I will lay my hand on Egypt and I will bring my host, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. How? When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and when I bring out the people of Israel from among them. Friends, hear me. The impossible task here is not for Moses to accomplish. It's on God. Every impossible situation that we find ourselves in is not for us to see it through. It's for God to pull us through. It's for God to see us through so that, so that his power might be known, so that we know exactly who it is that holds all the power. Friends, hear me. The power to live this faith journey out, the power to live this faith journey out does not come from within the power to step into impossible situations that God calls us into is not mustered up from inside of us. The power that we draw from to live a life that truly honors God and is in this sort of big faith kind of way is not drawn from within us. This is a power that comes from on high. Acts 1.8, what does it say? You will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Everything about the Exodus account shows us who it is that holds the power. Plague after plague, God displays his power in matchless ways. 
The, the sorcerers and magicians, you remember in the story, we're not going to go there here today, but you remember the sorcerers and magicians, they try as they may, but they fail time and time again. And then you remember this? As the Israelites are just about to leave Egypt, you remember how God leads them? With a great display of power. Through a pillar of cloud and fire, which would then lead them to the shores of the Red Sea. Cloud, fire. See, I mean, this was the original earth, wind, and fire. Before earth, wind, and fire was a thing, there was cloud, fire, and sea, okay? Can you imagine? They're just going through the land. Do you remember? Right? Like, maybe not. When God led us out of Egypt. Yeah, I don't know. Like, but you got to think for a moment. Like, God is leading them through these mighty, wondrous acts. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, which I would have loved to just been a fly on the wall just journeying through with Israel as that was happening. Then they get to the shores of the Red Sea. The Red Sea splits wide open. God leads them through. All for what? So that the people of God can know who is El Shaddai, who is Adonai, who is Yahweh, so that they might forever know it might be etched into their memories who is in control over all of life, including every impossible situation that he leads us into. It's God alone, Yahweh alone, our defender alone, who holds all the power. Miracle after miracle, God's power on display. And you want to know what he's asking of us in the process. You want to know what God is looking for in the midst of all of this from us? It's real simple. He's looking for a faith-filled yes. That's what he's looking for. A faith-filled Yes, the kind of response to God that God is looking for from you and from me is a faith-filled yes, and that's exactly what Moses and Aaron gave the Lord. In verse six of today's passage, we read, Moses and Aaron, they did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And you wanna know where this shows up the clearest? Maybe one of the clearest? It's actually in the story of the 10 plagues. Now, if you will, just, I want you to imagine with me, just go with me for just a moment. You know, when you look at the story of the 10 plagues, it's easy to focus on the plagues themselves. It's easy to focus on Pharaoh and the Egyptians and all these things that are, that are just sort of being unloaded on Egypt and all these things. Like, it, but I just want you, to, I want you to imagine with me for a moment how this would have all gone down from Moses' perspective. I want you to look at this through the lens of Moses. You gotta look at, you gotta look at this from his perspective because as far as Moses was concerned, you gotta remember this, he doesn't know that he's about to enter into a heavyweight match that's gonna last 10 whole rounds. He doesn't know that. As far as Moses is concerned, he got an instruction from God to go to Pharaoh and God's gonna perform some kind of miraculous act so much so that Pharaoh's mind is gonna be blown that he's gonna finally release God's people to go. And then Moses is gonna take God's people and lead them through into the promised land. You know, they're just, they're just gonna go on their merry way. 
So Moses, again, you just, just picture this, imagine this with me for a moment. Moses and Aaron go up to Pharaoh for the very first time. As far as they're concerned, it's the only time. They go up to Pharaoh for the very first time and they tell him, okay, Pharaoh, here's the deal. The Lord God spoke and he said, let his people go. And Pharaoh's response was, mm, nah. That's, that's the Hebrew, in case you're wondering. Mm, yeah, yeah, like it's, nah. You know, and so his heart, his heart hardens. And so then God holds his end of the deal. He performs this miracle. You remember what the first miracle was, the first plague? Right? He turns the Nile into blood. The text says fish started to rise up and there was a, a mighty stink in the land, right? The Nile turns into blood. Now, if I were Moses, right, and I'm with Aaron, and I'm seeing the Nile River turn into blood, I'm nudging Aaron, being like, bro, it's happening. Fuck, look at the water. God said he's gonna do a miracle. Like, it's, it, it's happening, it's happening. Get ready, pack up. Pack, you know, we got Israelites, hey, we're, we're about to bounce. Like, let's get, get, pack up your stuff. We're about to go. And Pharaoh's like, nope, not happening. Guys, get back to work. Moses and Aaron, get out of here. Moses and Aaron leave, and I can't help but wonder what that car ride back home was like. Like, what were they, right? Like, we're going home, and, and they're like, hang on. Moses is like, Aaron, did, did you say to Pharaoh what I told you to say? Like, you're supposed to be the prophet here, man. Like, yeah, like what, what went wrong here? And they're scratching their heads and thinking to themselves, what went wrong? In the midst of that, God shows up to Moses and Aaron another time. And they, God instructs Moses and Aaron. Okay, here's the deal. Same plan. Go back to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. And they do. And as you know, you know the story, right? Pharaoh hardens his heart and all these things, right? And then the second plague hits. They're hit with frogs. Frogs. Now, I don't know how this went down. I don't know if frogs were falling from the sky. I don't know if frogs started materializing out of thin air or they started coming out of the ground like zombie frogs. I don't know how it all happened. But what I do know is a plague of frogs is freaking weird. Okay, and weird things tend to get a hold of my attention. And Moses, I gotta imagine, is thinking, okay, frogs? All right, we'll go with that. Like, this, this has got to get Pharaoh's attention, right? Like, this, this is gonna be the thing that, that okay, I, I get it, I get it. We'll let, we'll let God's people go. Nope, nope. Let's try again. Third plague, gnats. Fourth plague, flies. Fifth plague, livestock just begin to drop dead all over the land of Egypt. Sixth plague, boils begin to rise. Seventh, eighth, ninth, ten different plagues hit Egypt. Now, friends, let me ask you a question. If you were Moses, at what point do you go back to God and say, God, I don't think this is working. You know, like this, uh, I thought you had it with the frogs. I mean, the boils... That was a little overboard, God, but, but like you went there, you're God, I'm not. Okay, so if you want to hit, hit them with boils, that's fine, but, but, but it, this isn't working. Your plan that you hatched up is not working. Pharaoh is not budging. It's not moving anywhere. Friends, I want to submit something to you this morning. 
Don't we do that with God all the time? It might not be with plagues. But how many times have we said to God, God, I don't think your plan is working here. In fact, sometimes I wonder how often we short-circuit God's plan in our lives because our tendency is to bail after the first plague. I wonder wonder how differently the, the story of the walls of Jericho would have gone if they did two, two, two victory laps and they said, the heck, man, the walls are still erect. I wonder how differently things would have looked if after the final Old Testament prophecy was given, 450 years later, about, I don't know, 100 years later, people were like, no, he ain't coming. The promised Messiah ain't coming. This Jesus that was talked about all throughout the Old Testament, all the prophets spoke, it's not coming 450 years later. I wonder how differently this story would have gone down if Moses and Aaron said, God, this plan ain't working. You, I, just, I'm, I'm out, I'm out, I'm done. This is it. There's only so many plagues that I can encourage here. I, I, I just, I, your plan isn't working. And what we do in those moments is we end up handling things in our own way we take matters into our own hands we take control of our impossible situations but remember church an impossible situation requires divine intervention you cannot see yourself through impossible situations you need divine intervention to see you through those impossible situations and if that's the case the only appropriate response that we can give is a faith-filled yes by the way I could imagine there's, there's part of God's heart and in his logic that the reason why he saw Moses and Aaron through 10 different plagues, the reason why he saw Joshua and the Israelites through the wall of Jericho seven times and all these things, the reason why is to take a little mustard seed of faith and just begin to water that thing and just let faith grow. Let it grow. Sometimes our faith-filled, yes, someone said this after the first service. Pastor Dan, my my faith-filled yes, more often than not, have been a whimper. Our faith-filled yes does not have to be, we're taking the land. Yes, big faith. Sometimes it's the little mustard seed of faith that we hold on to and we just whimper out. Okay, Lord. Now, I don't know where your faith level is today, this morning, but if that's all you can give, hear me, church, God will receive it with a glad heart. And he will respond to it in miraculous, wondrous ways. Can you imagine the faith that was required for Moses and Aaron to keep saying yes to God? Plague after plague, interaction after interaction. I I don't know if you've ever dealt with someone with a hardened heart. It's annoying. Do you know what I mean? Like, you 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 know, people like that, like just stubborn, hardened heart. I generally tend to avoid those types of people. I'm just being honest. I tend to, I try to avoid those types of people. People with hardened hearts. It's not a very attractive trait, right? 
you realize how frustrating it must have been for Moses and Aaron to come face to face with a hardened Pharaoh time and time again and still yet trust in God's plan in the midst of it all? Friends, in a lot of ways, I'd say that in and of itself is an impossible situation. And yet that's the faith journey that we're called to. That's the faith journey that every single one of us, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, whether you know it or not, you've subscribed to that. You subscribe to a life that said, I didn't choose easy. I chose following you, Jesus. God leads us into impossible situations and he does this because he can, he does it so that he can show us, reveal to us his power, his might, his rule, his reign. And in the process of all of that, the question that's begged of us is will you offer him a faith-filled yes? A yes that says, God, I will walk with you. As hard as it is, I will, I will. I'll walk with you through this impossible situation. A yes that says, God, I will yield to your power and your command. Yes, I, I, I will yield to your ways that are higher. We sang about it. Your ways are greater. Your thoughts are higher. Yes, God, I offer you my faith-filled yes today because if you can deliver your people out of the land of Egypt, there's really nothing you cannot do in my life today. God loves to lead us into impossible situations. And I wonder if there are moments and situations in our lives that come to the surface where we're saying, yep, yeah, that, that's, that's an impossible situation. I'm caught in this hard place where I, 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 like, I legitimately need divine intervention. I wonder if today we can collectively as a church say with no matter the size of your faith, if we can offer up a spirit that says yes to the work of God in our lives. Can I pray for us? Would you bow with me? Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Oh, God, we need you. We need you, Lord. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that this morning you would begin to bear before our souls and right before our eyes places where you have attempted to lead us but we bailed because we saw it as an impossible situation Lord are, are there situations and moments in our lives where we have confined you so tightly that we are we have we have made our faith journey just too possible Lord, are there places in our lives that you want to explode that little box up and say, oh, church, I am the God of impossible. I love to lead my people into the impossible. Are there moments, Lord, are there situations in our lives, are there contexts, are there relationships in our lives 
that we have categorically dismissed as impossible, and yet those are the very places where you're leading us. God, in some ways, I'm so thankful that I was not in Moses and Aaron's shoes because I, I don't know that I would have did so everything the Lord commanded them. But I want to be. I want to be that kind of follower of, of you, Jesus. I want to be that kind of man of faith. I want to be that kind of person of, of big faith that offers you my yes no matter the season and every high and every low, my answer to you is yes. God, if you're in it, the answer is yes. If you say go, the answer is yes. If you say stay, the answer is yes. Because God, you're the one who holds all of the power. You're the one who has ultimate rule and reign in my life, not me, not anyone else. It's you, Lord. So Lord, if, there's, if there are places in our, in our lives where you're, you're bubbling up to the surface, a little bit of that mustard seed faith that says yes to you, God, we say, we say, let it come. Let it be, Lord. We say yes and amen to that. We say yes and amen to all of what you're wanting to do in our hearts right now in this moment. I don't know what the Lord is bringing to mind right now, but would you just bring that before him and just, just dialogue with him for the next 30 seconds or so and just, just talk to him about it as he's revealing things to you. Would you just offer that back to him? to close I want to fast forward to the other side of the Red Sea on the other side of the plagues on the other side of the pillar of cloud and fire on the other side of the splitting of the Red Sea what we find is the song of Moses and Miriam oh I love this then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He is my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. goes on and on and declares the great acts and the wondrous acts of the Lord. And he ends by saying, the Lord reigns forever and ever. The Lord reigns over every impossible situation forever and ever. The Lord reigns over every circumstance of my life forever and ever. If he can hurl chariots and horses into the depths of the sea, I can say with great confidence, the Lord reigns forever and ever. And so God, we wanna declare the praises of you, the exploits of our King, of our mighty majesty, the victorious one, the one who wins every war, the one who wins every battle, Lord. We want to we wanna declare our praises to you. And so cause us to be a people who rise up in faith and declare our praises to our good king. We love you. We praise you. And it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can we stand together and let's sing together. Let's offer up our praise together as the team leads us here this morning.